My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Did you know that in India, in the eastern part of the world, that there are 33 million gods or deities? 33 million gods. And you know how many people worship them? Over a billion people worship them. And none of these idols or images, they can talk, they cannot feel, they cannot hear you. And they're all made by the imagination of man. Uh, They are the work of human hands, the Bible says. And I do not know how many American idols we have in our country. But did you know the Bible also says that the God of the Bible, he is the one and true living God. He's a God who speaks. He still speaks. And you can hear him primarily through his living word. You know, recently I was listening to a testimony of a dear lady in India who lives close to uh, where some of my family lives. And this lady was going through a season of depression, and she was a believer in Jesus Christ. And she was sharing that how she was almost ready to take her, end her life by committing suicide. And she, as she was preparing to end her life, and she said to herself, she would... Uh, pray and read the Bible one last time. So she got down on her knees, and after praying, she opened the Bible. And her eyes fell on Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 17. And you know what the verse said? It said, why would you die before your time? And that verse really convicted her heart. And she gave up all of her suicide plans And give her life in service to Christ. Isn't that wonderful how God speaks? The living word of God transformed her heart. The word of God, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is living and active. And the title of my message here is Service in Christ. So if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, God is still in the business of speaking with you. And transforming you. God spoke to you first when you trusted in him and you turned from your sin and made Jesus your Lord and Savior. And if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're not here by accident. Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And the way that this relationship with Jesus begins is through faith. And the Bible says faith comes by 
hearing and hearing the words of Christ. So I invite you to join in and listen in as we begin this, looking at this passage here tonight. We're in a message series in the book of Acts of the Apostles. A few weeks ago, Pastor James uh, started this series, and it is just a privilege to be able to teach from this portion of Scripture. So let's go straight into the portion of Scripture for tonight. Uh, You'll see it on the screen back. It's from Acts chapter 5, verses 42, through Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Would you please pray with me? God, we are so thankful that this early message, this message of good news did not stop with the early apostles, but they continued for years and years, and 2,000 years later, we, we are the recipients of this great message. I pray that the spirit that was in them would fill our minds. It would illuminate our minds to understand what your word has to teach us and fill our hearts to refresh us and give us the strength in our hands and our feet to serve you in ways that you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're new to the book of Acts, this book is a historical narrative. It tells us of what happened after the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven and died for sinners. Uh, Jesus Christ chose initially 12 disciples, and after his death, one before his death betrayed him. His name was Judas, and Judas was replaced after the, uh, after the ascension of Jesus Christ. He was replaced by a man called Matthias. So these 12 disciples initially were the eyewitnesses. They were eyewitnesses to the life, the baptism, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. But just before Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ ascends to heaven, he gives the disciples a command. He tells them, go to Jerusalem and pray and wait. He says, wait until something happens. And wait until you receive supernatural power from heaven. And this was the Holy Spirit he was going to promise them. 
So what did the disciples do? They do exactly what their master commanded them to do. They go to Jerusalem and they really pray. They start praying. They devote themselves to prayer. That's the word used there. They persist in prayer. And as they devote themselves to prayer, in what was called the upper room, there were 120 people. As they pray and wait on God, 40 days, about 40 days after the death of Jesus, on the day of Pentecost, this power from heaven arrives. And it arrives and fills these believers And previously, they were sort of fearful, they were timid, they were afraid of the religious authorities. But when this power fills them, they become very bold. And Peter, the leader of the disciples, he is the the one who is the speaker. And he stands up and he starts proclaiming who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is what he tells them. And there was a big crowd there on the day of Pentecost. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far away, all those who have been called by the Lord our God. So as a result of this powerful proclamation and witness, 3,000 people became disciples of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? We'll see that in verse 41 in chapter 2. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. The growth doesn't stop there, verse 47. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, this continues, so I'm, I'm going to have to skip over to verse chapter 5 verse 14, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. Now, I have to pause here. How did these people, how did so many people become believers and disciples of Jesus Christ? Who was responsible? Was it Peter? Well, Peter was not the only one. What does it say here? They were added The Lord added them. God brought all of these people to the church. And Peter was just the vehicle, a mouthpiece of God. So this phenomenal growth was happening in the early church. God was adding these believers. However, there's opposition as they do this. The religious leaders, as we saw in the previous weeks, they try to stop them. They call Peter and John, the leaders, and say, You must never preach in the name of Jesus again. And they say, if you do that, we will, we will kill you. We will put, them in, we'll put you in prison. So they actually beat them. But what did the disciples do? They push ahead. And they start preaching the, the gospel more. And what happens as a result? More believers are added to the church. But here, before we come to Acts chapter 6, there is a very interesting situation. As the number of believers grow the number of practical needs also increase. There are widows that needed to be served. There is food to be distributed. There are tables to be waited upon. And this is where Acts chapter 6 begins. Let me read chapter, uh, verse 1 again from Acts chapter 6. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, let me pause here and explain what was going on. 
Now, at this point in the early church, the very early church, it appears there were two groups. And all of these believers were from a Jewish background. And these two groups, you can see them. The first group is the Greek-speaking believers. And the second group, the Hebrew-speaking believers. Who are these people? Well, the Greek-speaking people were from outside of Jerusalem. They had just become believers. And the Hebrews, their native tongue was Aramaic. And they were the, the residents of Jerusalem. So it appears there were two groups. And they had, both groups had widows that needed to be cared for. Very interestingly, the word grumbling, as one group was complaining against the other group that they were not being served. They didn't have enough food for their widows. Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Same word he uses there. So it seems that this was a legitimate complaint, but there was grumbling. They They were sort of saying, we are not getting enough share of our food. Now, widows in the first century were very poor. They didn't have much to live on, and they didn't have anything passed on to them when their husbands had died, and they, they were just, they needed special protection and care. So the apostles understood their plight, they, that they needed care. They were not blind to the needs of the people. And here's what James chapter 1 verse 27 tells us about how we ought to care for widows. It says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. If you ever, if you ever have a heart for widows, India is the place to be. I've heard that there are 42 million poor widows. So we're talking about going to the ends of the earth. Go to India. Go to Uganda. Serve the widows there. So as the apostles understood the, the plight of the situation at hand, they, what did they do in response? How did they respond? They called for a meeting. They called for a church meeting. They wanted to address the situation at hand. But then why do they call for a meeting? Could not the apostles have done the work themselves? Well, the the reasoning is that we have to understand what task were the apostles called to in the first place. They were called to the proclamation, to the witnessing of the good news. But now you see the witnessing is taking a back seat, and then you see the practical needs are taking higher priority. So the apostles understand it, and it needs special care. It needs special attention. So they call for a meeting. In Acts chapter 1, if you recall, Jesus, when he commissioned his disciples, he, this is what he told them. He said, you must go out and be my witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but to Samaria and to the outside Gentile regions, to the ends of the earth. Now here, if you look at this, part, at, at this portion of Scripture in Acts chapter 6, we're still in Jerusalem. And there are a lot of practical needs. They're not even outside of Jerusalem yet. They're not in Judea. They're not in Samaria. They're not to the outside of the world, outside of Jerusalem yet. And could they have taken care of the practical needs? Yes. The apostles were servants of servants. They were trained by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. They knew what it means to serve. They had a heart for the people that needed this very needy task. 
It was not beneath them. It was not a menial task. But they realized that they're not doing what they ought to be doing, which was what? The prayer and the ministry of the word. So what did the apostles do? They called for a church meeting. Let's look at verses 2 through 4. So the 12 called a meeting of the believers, of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. And then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Now, if you look at this, three verses here, or, or verses three and four, the apostles ask for seven men. They won't select. They, they tell the whole church, you select seven men. And they say, select seven men, not with the best degrees or education, not with the best talent or skill, not with the best influence or money, but with the best godly character. They want seven men with the character of God. But then they also ask for something before they ask for these three traits. They ask, select seven men, and you won't see this in the NLT, which we're reading from. But in other translations, they say, select seven men from among you. In other words, they say, they want seven men who lived in their community, who everybody knew. So that's the first thing they ask them. And the first requirement they ask them is for people who have a good reputation. Seven men with a good reputation. Listen to Proverbs chapter 22 verse 1. Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. But how do you know your character? How does anyone know your character? Paul says to his disciple Timothy, train yourself for godliness. And Paul tells Timothy as well, godliness with contentment is great gain. Not the material things in this life. He says godliness with contentment is the greatest gain. So I was asking myself this question, perhaps a question for you, disciple of Jesus, brother and sister in Christ. What do you fill your thoughts with daily in the, mor- in, in the morning? What do your daily rhythms look like? Do you fill your head, your thoughts with the word of God? Or with the news channel, the entertainment channel? Do you know what Jesus said or Jesus did first thing in the morning? He rose early in the morning and prayed. Recently, a friend I used to work with in Florida called me. And we had a good conversation on the phone. And I asked him about a man who was a leader in the company or the uh, employer I used to work for. And as we had this conversation, he shared with me about this leader, and he said, uh, you know, I held this man in high esteem, and he said that there was someone else who saw him taking lunch breaks at a strip club. And my friend was justifying his actions, saying, you know, his professional life is so different from his personal life. But, you know, so much is lost when character is lost. You know what D.L. Moody once said? He said, if I take care of my character... My reputation will take care of me. So the first thing the the apostles ask is for men with a good reputation. The second requirement is to select those who are full of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, how do you know you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, by seeing its fruit. You look at the life of the apostle Peter. He had denied his master three times, and he was timid. But then when he was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, he was the boldest man alive. So you're characterized by boldness and joy and praise. And Paul lists even an extended list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are what we need. And these are what the apostles asked for this man, for the servant leaders. Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you feel you lack the Holy Spirit, ask God. He will give you the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, 13, verse 13. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Do you want the Holy Spirit? Ask God. So that's the second requirement. The first one is a good reputation, good character. Second one is those with the Holy Spirit. And the third requirement is people with wisdom. And wisdom is just the ability to use God's truth in dif- different circumstances and different situations in life. And again, here the question here is, do you want wisdom? And again, the book of James says, ask God. Here's what he says, James chapter 1, verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He doesn't say he may give it to you or he sometimes. He says, ask him. The only condition is you ask him and he will give it to you. And he will not rebuke you for asking. So when the apostles asked for this meeting, they they asked the church to select seven men with these three qualities. Good reputation, those with the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. So much needed for servant leaders today. And God, I feel God wants you to serve and lead. And we have so many needs in our church today. The children's ministry, the youth ministry, the parking ministry. We have so many needs here. God wants you to serve and lead. But God wants you to be in community first. Because the apostles, if you look at the verse, they wanted people that were among them. That everybody knew these leaders. And if you're just a Sunday-only church attender, can I plead with you that God has so much more for you? God wants you to be in community, not just on Sundays, in small groups, in your community, in your family. And that's where God shapes and wants to grow your character. And He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. And He wants to give you His wisdom. And when you serve others, the Bible says you're not serving other people. You're really serving God. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 23, 24. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. And that the master that you serve is Jesus Christ. So the apostles called for a meeting to appoint seven men to serve and lead. But what did the apostles say they would do? If you look at the last verse, or 
verse 4, Acts chapter 6, they said they would spend their time in prayer and teaching the word. Now, it was interesting when I looked up the, the word, the phrase, spend our time, I found this uh, repeated several times in the book of Acts. And I'll mention three times it was repeated. The first time it's repeated, it's translated persist or devoted. The word, the phrase spend our time is translated persist or devoted. The first time we see that in Acts chapter 1 verse 14. In the upper room where 120 men and women were gathered, they devoted themselves to prayer. The second time we see it in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. New believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And verse 46, the fellowship of believers met regularly and they were devoted to each other. So you see the pattern of the early church. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to each other. So as the apostles called for this meeting... And propose the appointment of new leaders. Uh, What happens in response? Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Everyone liked this idea. And they chose the following seven men. We already saw those seven men. Stephen. And all the way up to Nicholas. Verse 6. These seven men were presented to the apostles. Who prayed for them. As they laid their hands on them. You know what is remarkable about these men? These people were the right fit for the right job. The widows felt they were being discriminated against. They were Greek-speaking widows, and all these were Greek-speaking men. What a perfect fit for the right-needed hand. They were the exact response that God was appointing for the right-needed hand. The Greek-speaking widows understood Greek or spoke Greek, and all these men were Greek-speaking servant leaders now we do not know a lot about these men but Stephen as we will see he was an early martyr he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit Philip was an evangelist and nothing really is known more about these men but the apostles they laid their hands on them and they commissioned them for the task of this service they just sent them out saying you are now the leaders for the work at hand for the administration, for the food distribution. Now, as this appointment of leaders happened, what was the result? Because in verse 1 we saw that the apostles had to sort of slow down the witnessing. They had to deal with the situation in hand. Now they had appointed leaders. What happened as a result? Let's look at verse 7. So God's message continued to spread... The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Wow. Did you see the turnaround? In verse 1, we see it was rapidly increasing, and there was grumbling, there was discontent, there was, grumb- uh, there was complaining. Uh, this word grumbling, you know, you know about the, if you look back at the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel grumbled for 40 years. It is not a good thing. And it it did not end well for them. But as the apostles responded to the situation, people were hearing the, the witnessing about Jesus the Messiah again. And many people were turning to God. But look, the second part of the verse. 
Even Jewish priests were turning to God. They were becoming disciples of Jesus Christ too. Who are these Jewish priests? They were the ones who were accusing the apostles. They were the ones who, who would threaten the disciples and said, you can't preach about Jesus. And now we, would see, we were seeing that they and now themselves are receiving the grace of God. They were once the enemies of the gospel. And now they are followers of Jesus Christ. This is the power of the gospel. So let me summarize what we just saw. Verse 1, we saw a rapid increase in the number of disciples. Practical needs also increased. There were not enough people to serve. There was murmuring. There was potential for division in the church. Prayer and preaching was not given the right attention. But the apostles took responsibility. Servant leaders were appointed. Prayer and ministry of the word was given the right priority. God was honored and there was a great blessing. And here at sunrise, we put ministry into the hands of people who are best suited to serve. And just like the early church, we equip and lead and shepherd and teach. But it's not for the pastors to do all the work. But it's all of our responsibility to serve. God wants us to serve. And please, sign up for serving. In the seat back pockets, you'll see a little card during the songs, you could fill out this card. You can serve in so many ways with your time, your treasure, and talent. I want to conclude with the good news itself. As I was reading through this and meditating at this verse, at this passage, on this passage, I asked myself, so what was so great about this message that thousands were becoming disciples of Jesus? What was so great? Well, this message is good news that will change your life. This is the good news of abundant and eternal life. It's what the Bible says, the narrow way to the abundant life. It's God's way to eternal life. And if you have never received the good news of God, here it is. The good news is for all people. It doesn't matter what skin color you have. Or what ethnicity you're from, or what background you're from, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're least lost or the last, whether you're young or old, God wants to touch all of you, the whole of you. And this is the beginning of the good news. The Bible says you are made in the image of God. God is your creator. But even though you're made in the image of God, the Bible also says you're separated from God. And you know why you're separated from God? Because of your sin. And what comes out, out of the sinful heart? Hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says, evil thoughts come from the inside from a person's heart. So do sexual sins, stealing and murder, adultery, greed, hate, cheating come from a person's heart too. So do desires that are not pure and wanting what belongs to others. And so do telling lies about others and being proud and being foolish. Goodness, that is a long list. But did you, do you know that God is offended every time you sin? And the penalty for sin, dear friend, is death and judgment. There's a day coming God will judge. And God's judgment will be just. He will be right in His judgment. 
John chapter 3 verse 36 says, Anyone who does not obey the Son, Jesus, will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. But that's only half of the story. However, there's a big, bold however. The other side of the good news is that there's a way to escape out of this coming judgment. And that way to get out of that is God's way. God's only way, his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way to be right with God. The Bible says all have sinned and have fallen short of the standard of God. The Bible says if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Bible says humble yourself. It just simply, it simply means accept that you're a sinner. You have not followed God. The Bible also says turn from your sin. You're going this way, following your own way. And now the Bible says turn towards God. Your back was towards God. Now God says, turn your face towards God, towards the cross. And believe that Jesus died for you. Did you know that Jesus was completely innocent and sinless? But he was mocked. He was spit upon. They put thorns on his head. They beat him. They accused him. And he didn't do anything wrong. And they dragged him with a cross on his shoulders, and they put nails on his hand, nails on his feet, and he was bleeding and he was left for dead. He wept and died all alone, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave the third day, believe in his resurrection. And when you believe that, receive his forgiveness for all of your sin. Not just for some sin. Jesus says, as far as east is from the west, I will remove all of your sin. I will make you as white as snow. Listen to what the Bible says as I close. Long ago, God spoke in many ways, many times to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken spoken to us through his son. And this is what Jesus says to you if you have never received him. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Even though one may die, he will live again. Will you believe in Jesus, dear friend? Will you trust him? Let's pray. Tell God the issues of your heart. Tell it to Jesus. God sees you. God hears you. And God will hear, heal your heart. Let's pray. Pray with me if you have never received Jesus into your heart. Soon today will be over, dear friend. And perhaps this day will never come back. And God says, today is the day of salvation. This is the appointed time, not tomorrow. So pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are my only Savior. I confess that I have not followed your ways. I confess I have sinned against you. But I thank you that you're a good God and a good Savior. I thank you, therefore, you have died for me on the cross. I believe in your death. I believe in your resurrection. Forgive me of all of my sin. Make me clean. Make me a new creation. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, 
with all of your heart. The Bible says if you seek him with all of your heart, God will find you. 